I'm your host, James Radazzi. Choose Life is the title of this week's podcast. When Jesus makes statements like, let the dead bury their own dead, he is challenging us to redefine our understanding of life and death. The following discussion examines some of what scripture teaches us about life and death. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. So for our introductory text, Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning at verse 15 and just reading to the end of the chapter. This is towards the end of Deuteronomy and, and Moses is pretty much summarizing, summarizing his summary because Deuteronomy is, the meaning of Deuteronomy is what? Um, Second law. Oh, right. This is now at the end of their 40-year wandering. They're about to enter the promised land. Moses is about to uh, shuffle off this mortal coil. And this is pretty much his swan song. And this is the tail end of his swan song. So read Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting at verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish. And they shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Thanks. So, your observation, the approach that you took, where you were talking about separation, and you noticed that if you just do a concordant search of separation, you get a lot of that stuff to come out from them and be separate. So there's a contrast, and you see a couple of the elements of the contrast here in this passage. The contrast is life and death, good and evil, God and not God. 
if you're connected to God, then that's life, because God is the source of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. John 14, verse 6. And a step away from God is a step away from life and a step toward death. Right? So you want to be connected to God and separated from death. So the world that we find ourselves in is full of people, and many of them have not followed the instructions that Moses has chosen, which is to choose life. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be, if you don't choose life, what's it going to be? Death. Death. Right, exactly. So you need to be separate from them. So if you're connected to one, you're separate from the other. It's an either-or thing. And that's also one of the corollaries. Jesus always talks about it. it's an either-or thing. You can't be both. You're not going to get good and bad fruit from the same tree, etc., etc. One of the figures that I've used is the idea of a dartboard, and God is at the center. But a better figure, I thought of a better figure today because it's more three-dimensional. Imagine you're in infinite dark space. Now imagine there's a light in the center of that space. That light is God. That light is life. The darkness around it, the further away from you get, the further into the darkness, that's death. When you sin, what does that do with your position to that light? It moves you further. It moves you further away from that light. Further away from the light and the life and further towards the darkness and death. And the light is also good. Light, good. Death, evil. So if you're sinning, you're moving further away from good to evil. Death. Sin is connected with death. Once you decide, though, to draw near to God by what? Following his instructions. Then now you're moving toward but you're getting closer to the light. So then there's this idea about connection and separation, right? If you're moving closer to the light, you're becoming more connected to the light, and you're becoming more separate from the death. Mm -hmm. So connection to one is separation from the other. Mm -hmm. Now we redefine what death and life is. Death is separation from God. Mm -hmm. And life is, just conversely, since life is connection with God. But death in a more general sense is death is separation. Your physical death, now you're separate from the physical world because you physically died. Your physical body has stopped functioning. And this is what we call physical death. We make a differentiation of physical death from spiritual death. You don't see it necessarily called out like that, but it helps us to understand from a human point of view because we think that death is an ending. We think of death as end. If we weren't familiar with the Bible, we would think that death is an ending. So-and-so has died. We have no connection with them anymore. But if you think of death as separation, your sins have separated you from God. Mm -hmm. When someone physically dies, they're separated from the physical world. They still exist because death is not ceasing to exist. Death is just separation. But their physical death is separation from the physical world. That's why you don't hear from them anymore. You have no longer any contact with them because they've gone from the physical world. Any thoughts about the reading of Deuteronomy or just thoughts that you were thinking independently to bring to the conversation? Um, just one of the thoughts that I was thinking was just um, that um, either way, there's separation and or death from something, death to something. Mm -hmm. And um, if that's, um, and that in order to have life with God, that that 
would be mean choosing death to the world in a spiritual sense. So, like, um, all of those, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's one of, one of the ways that people talk about repentance is dying to sin and dying to, you know, um, right, exactly. the world. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that same concept of, of separation in that way. And um, somehow I feel like when, maybe because we view death as an ending, when you think of it that way, it sounds like a lot more permanent or a lot more like, um, yeah, just a lot more of a fixed permanent and more committed choice if you think of it as dying. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the level of commitment that God wants. It's He doesn't, he's not, he doesn't, when God says um, separate yourself or when Moses is like choose, choose life and separate yourself from unrighteousness and, and dedicate yourself to God, it's, there's a level of commitment there that maybe we don't instinct, that we don't hear or see at first um, because it isn't um, because there's always a death involved like no matter what you're you're living to one and dying to the other like and there's not a middle there's not a really a middle ground and some and um, I don't think that that's um, I don't think that's the way that a lot of people really think about it Right, exactly. I think that's the point. Let's say we've never read the Bible and we're just going by our experiences in the physical world. Our understanding of death is going to be very different from the understanding we get from the Bible. Jeremy was mentioning, it was your stepmother that said the thing about Genesis 3? Yeah, the idea in Genesis 3, don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you eat from it, you'll die. Well, they didn't drop dead when they did but they died in the more important sense that now they were separated from God now there was a separation between them and God they don't have the intimate relationship they had before their relationship was so intimate with God that they were there with God in the garden they were naked there was no problem with that that's how close they were and that's very early in the Bible we see something that challenges our understanding of death that we get from the physical world. And Jesus always played around with that. Played around is my characterization. But when he makes statements like, let the dead bury their own dead, he's challenging us. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 60, by the way, let the dead bury their own dead. He's challenging us to rethink our understanding of death, because if death is an ending, then that statement makes no sense. We discussed the parable of the rich man and Lazarus on Wednesday, but then Jeremy also pointed out, and then there's that other Lazarus story, and that also talks about our understanding of death. So I was thinking, as our second reading, why don't we do John chapter 11, maybe just to 44. Do you want to read, Jeremy? Yes, starting where? Starting at verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of his world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's just stop right there for a second. He's emphasizing that his understanding of things are a little bit different when he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, mm-hmm. and they don't understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And then he finally says he's died. If they're thinking about what's going on, they're going to be like, well, we're, we're learning something about life and death here. Of course they didn't, because we already know that they were. Like, we would be in that situation, not getting what was going on until it's easy to, to get it reading afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then it's interesting what Thomas says, well, let's also go with him, that we may die with him interesting characterization of what they're doing. Okay, so let's continue the reading. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When, he, when, she, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you lived? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved them? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, 
Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Okay. I was thinking that it would be nice to read the rest of the chapter, but we know with the general gist of the rest of the chapter, right? What then do the Jews want to do? Kill him again. Yeah, exactly. They want to kill Lazarus, and they want to kill, because they wanted to kill Jesus. Now they want to kill them both. This chapter is all about life and death. Now notice what they said. It's an interesting thing. So verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? In other words, they were thinking like we would think in the flesh. This was a final bad outcome for the person. He's passed away. And Jesus, on purpose, lets him pass away, lets him die, so that he could demonstrate to them that this death was not an end. And when he's speaking with, which one of them, is he speaking with Mary or Martha before? He speaks to Martha first. Speak to Martha first. And Martha understands that there is a resurrection that's coming in the future. And Jesus makes the point that this is also a present thing. Just like many people who, their first understanding of the Bible is that the kingdom of heaven is something in the future, but Jesus is like, no, the kingdom of heaven is amongst you, it's in your midst, because you've got people who are doing the will of God. Well, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So it's, it's Lazarus's connection with Jesus that, puts him in the realm of the living, even though physically his body has died. There's the lesson there. I am the resurrection and the life. Does that make sense to you? And so just to demonstrate that, because this is all about demonstrating the glory of God. And what is the glory of God? They're all sad because Lazarus has died. He's passed away. Even Jesus is sad. Mm -hmm. Jesus is sad. Why? Well, Why does Jesus weep? Well, the Bible doesn't say, so anything that we would come to is conjecture, but I sort of think that um, he's just moved with pity for the sadness of them. But also, you know, maybe, um, you know, if Lazarus was a good man, he, maybe he's he's sad that Lazarus is, um, that, you know, he he's going to bring Lazarus back to life, <laughs> and then he's going to have to be in this world again, even though he was like... Maybe resting and at peace and like happy where he was could have been. Um, don't know, but well, but, but I feel like he's definitely moved at the sadness of everybody else. He's sad because the people that he cares about are sad. Is the impression that I get from the context. And it says that very thing there. Because look at verse thirty-three. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He wasn't troubled because. Lazarus had come to a bad outcome because he knew what was about to happen. But he shared in their sadness because these people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all three very close to Jesus, right? They were all connected with him. So they shared something with him. They shared him his teachings. But he also shared something with them. So when they were distressed, he was distressed also. 
You see, that's the connection part. You see Jesus demonstrating his connection to them. That's the life part. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're connected to me, you're connected to life. And also showing the separation part and the, the attendant sadness that death brings. Even if we understand it, Jesus understood it, yet he was still sad with them. People are sad when someone dies. Why? Because they're taken away from them. Mm -hmm. We no longer have any contact with the dead person. And that makes us sad. So it's like if someone goes away for a long time and you miss them. Right? You're sad because even though you know they're coming back, you're still sad when they're gone. Mm -hmm. That's what death is. And that's a real thing. And Jesus demonstrates that that's a real thing. But he also demonstrates that the physical death is not the final word. And that's one of the main messages of Jesus, right? you guys have any thoughts about this reading and how this connects with what we're talking about? I mean, I think I was thinking of death in a more spiritual sense, and this is physical death, but... But the idea that, okay, there's physical death and there's spiritual death, that's more of our thinking than what Scripture teaches us. So think of it like this, death is separation. The person that physically dies is now separated from everybody else in the physical world. But they still continue to well, exist. I mean, it's all separation, but it's still a different kind of... It's a complete... It's a it's fundamentally a, different kind of separation. Absolutely true. And the more important separation, which is, I think, what you're thinking about, the more important separation is the spiritual separation from God that death indicates. How did that separation originally come about? What, separation from God? From God, yeah. Sin. Sin. And sin is what? Transgression of the yeah, law? transgression, disobedience. And so when Jesus came to fix that, what did he do? Um, he, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Followed the law. Yeah, he didn't but transgress. Yeah. So he's demonstrating to us what we can do about this separation problem. He's demonstrating to us what we can do about being separated from God and how we can have a connection from God and have life. Like he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, verse 6. But it's other interesting things that Jesus does with life and death. Remember John chapter 3? Now, this is the flip side of it when he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again, and Nicodemus is puzzled. Well, what's he talking about? And Jesus said, well, the flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. That's a paraphrase. Now there he's talking about not a physical rebirth, which is what confounded Nicodemus, but he was talking about a spiritual rebirth that comes from obedience. There's a lot of things where um, Jesus helps us to understand what death is and what life is. When Jesus is criticizing the uh, Pharisees and their hypocrisy, what does he call them? He calls them whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23, verse 27. So he says what? He says, on the outside you look clean, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like similar to let the dead bury their own dead. Let the people who are separated from God bury their own people who are separated from God. You could be walking around, walking and talking, and having the appearance of life because you still have physical life, but you're dead. 
Well, you could even have the appearance of spiritual life. Right, right. Because that was what he's saying about the Pharisees. You're right, exactly. Because everyone would have said, oh, yeah, obviously they're spiritual people. Yeah, because they're... They're Pharisees. And because of the show that they would put on. Exactly, yeah, yeah, good point. And people like, that's like definitely... We definitely encounter that today. Yeah, and Jesus says that about, you know, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You're going to be surprised... He says, enter through the narrow gate. He says, all these things that are not either what we come to understand from physical life, also not what we want to believe. Mm -hmm. Because most people and most false religions want to paint a picture that draws you to the conclusion that most people are going to be saved. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, oh, it's a narrow gate that most people are not going to be saved. In Revelation chapter 3, what does he say about the church in Sardis, right? Does they have a name that they live? Right, exactly. But they're dead. And why are they dead? And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Interesting how similar that is to what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy, right? I have this against you. You're not wanting to follow what God's instruction is. And he's trying to encourage them to choose life. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing Jesus' message to the church in Sardis is choose life. The things that you're doing are not according to the instructions that I gave. So God is not neutral on it. See, I said before you, life and death, blessings and curses. God wants us to choose life. He wants us to choose life so much that he sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Mm-hmm. So then it's possible then, like Jesus says in, in John chapter 5, verse 24, to pass over from death to life. And it wouldn't be possible if death was an ending, but it is possible if you think of death as a separation to pass over from death to life. What verse is that? John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, he doesn't specifically say here that it's about what you do, but if you hear the word and you believe, it's going to follow that you're going to act accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that's how you pass over from death to life. So death, separation, life, connection. Mm-hmm. Death, bad, life, good. If it's, if it's death from God. Right, death from God, yes. But yes. death from other things might not necessarily. That's a good point. If you're moving towards God, then you're being connected with God. Right. And you're being separated from evil. So and there's right. always and there's always one or the other happening. Like there's never not. There's never not. You're always in the process of separating yourself from one or the other. I agree. That's why I like this three-dimensional picture because you can think of it like 
planets in the solar system or mm -hmm. something where we're kind of like moving around in this space. We're constantly in motion in this space. Mm -hmm. We're constantly doing things. So you're right. Either our emotion is taking us closer to mm -hmm. God or further away. And that's an important thing because if we're not putting any thought into our emotion taking us closer to God, what's naturally going to happen? We'll drift away. We're going to drift away. So we have to, like Jesus decided when he came in the flesh, he decided that he was only going to do and say what comes from the Father. But notice how he makes the point that that's what he decided to do. He's setting an example for us. That that's what we have to decide to do. Jesus was 100% successful in that. We're not going to be 100% successful, but we can, because of the sacrifice Jesus made, be able to have that position as if we were because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Any other thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? The point that you make is a very good one because Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So God is perfectly connected. Father, Son, Spirit are perfectly connected with each other. So that's something that we can share in if we do as Jesus did, as we follow Jesus' example. And it's something that we can share in. And that starts to bring us to the Lord's Supper because we call it communion. Well, why do we call it communion? Why do people call it communion? Because we're sharing. Um, we're sharing with one another and we're sharing with God. It's like sharing. Exactly. So it's that it's that moment where we're where we're sharing in like um, our remembrance of uh, the death of Jesus, but like we're supposed to be sharing in our unity with both each other and with God. Right. At the same time, so if we don't have unity among ourselves, or if we don't have unity with God, um, then we're not doing it right. Either way. Either way, exactly. So we can be right with each other, but wrong with God, and it's no good. We can be right with God, but wrong with each other, which doesn't work, because if you're wrong with each other, then you're not going to be right with God either. So, but anyway. We have to have both. The way John puts it, it's because we have this communion with the Father, mm -hmm. and then therefore we have mm -hmm. this communion with each other. And you're right. The only indication that gives us any benefit is this connection. If we have this connection, and if we're some group, they're all in agreement, they're connected to each other, but they're separate from God because they're not following his instructions, then that doesn't help them. They don't have this communion. That's the point that the Apostle Paul made to the church in Corinth. You guys, you know, whatever it is you're doing, it's not the Lord's Supper because you're not following the instructions so the division that you have. And that's another point. Notice that in the New Testament, all those discussions with the Apostle Paul and um, it's mostly the Apostle Paul, talks about that they should not have division. Because division in the church means that either some of them or all of them are separated from God and that's death. The church should be all about connection and life with God. Mm -hmm. So there should be no division in the church and the church should have no division from God and therefore, like you said, no division from each other. And that's what this reminds us of when we do the Lord's Supper on each first day of the week. 
We're reminded of Jesus' sacrifice and his body, but we're also reminded of our communion with that we are his body. And so we should have this connection. We should have connection equals life. Two little ideas uh, that have been fomenting in my brain like one past hour. Um, but kind of going all along with her, you know, how the whenever she looked up the word separate it seemed to be, you know, away from unrighteousness. But mm-hmm. just the idea of, you know, that uh, we need to be dead to ourselves, to our sin, you know, just that's that's one another instance of, you know, the word death being we need to separate ourselves from who we, I guess, are originally, and instead um, put on Jesus. I don't know. And then the other thing, uh, one verse that I looked up was, um, faith apart from works is dead. So another mm-hmm. instance of mm-hmm. death, you know, meaning it's just separation. You know, if you don't have faith, or if you don't have works with your faith, you know, they're separate, and it just means that it's dead. Right, that's from James chapter 2. That's an important point because it's what Jesus did and the way he lived his life that demonstrated his oneness with God. And by the same token, even though it's incorrect to say the things we do earn us our salvation, even though the wages of sin is death, so the things that we do that are bad earn us death, right? But the, the life that we get is a free gift from God. But the good things that we do are in response to that. And that's why if we say we have faith, which means that we believe, it has to be reflected by what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's why James says faith without works is dead. What does he say before that? He says uh, the demons believe that and shudder because the demons are not going to do their plan is not to do what it says because the demons are what? they're separate Mm -hmm. they're not connected to God however they've come to be demons they're sticking with that even though they do believe because they're spiritual beings and they know that God exists they shudder because they're not going to connect themselves with God so that's a good point do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also, yeah, so as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That's really the verse you were thinking of, right? The last verse, because that's actually really good, because that's making that connection of physical death, Mm -hmm. right? When when the spirit is departed, the body, now the body is dead. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's not forget that in James chapter 2, he begins with an example of people in the church behaving in a way that he criticizes. These epistles in the the New Testament are written to believers. He's talking to people in the church. So many times people think, well, just because I'm in the church, now I'm fine. Not necessarily. Well, and just also that, like, 
that if you find yourself in a situation where you're part of a local church that's that's um, dead, I guess, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. Like, like the guys in Sardis. Um, that, you know, even in Sardis, it said that there were some that, there were, were, some. that were continuing mm-hmm. to walk um, who hadn't sullied their garments. But, like, you, God is more powerful than death. And if we're willing to make the move to go back to him... He's always going to be that source of life. So even in the sense um, that, um, you know, in some ways we want death to be permanent. Like you always want to be dead to self. You always want to be dead to the world. But um, it's never, I mean, until it's, I guess, until your life is over, until until your spirit and your body separate, um, there's always, like, that motivation to if you're if you're in a bad situation to go back to right. God because God is God is God is always going to be life. God is life, and you're right. That's a good point. All these demonstrations that Jesus makes is that God life is stronger than death. death. Good point. And the other point that you made, which is also good, yes, as long as we're in the flesh, because Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are tempted because of the weakness of the flesh. Mm -hmm. Jesus was tempted because of the weakness of the flesh. Mm -hmm. But Jesus did not sin, so we have to be like him. We have to do our best not to sin, but you're right. Until that moment comes when we exit our bodies, we're going to be susceptible to the temptations and the weaknesses of the flesh. So what do we need to do? We need to be encouraged. What are all these the seven letters to the seven churches all about. None of them were pronouncing a final judgment on any of these churches. All of them were about, you guys are still in the world, you need to be doing better. In fact, generally that's the message to churches is, okay, you've set yourself apart thus far by being a church, that's fine, but now you need to do better. You need to continue on this setting apart from evil, moving away from the darkness and towards the light, you need to do better with that. You need to continue with that because Jesus said, you stands firm to the end and will be saved. So this is a constant struggle. I hope you found this discussion encouraging. If you need any help incorporating these principles into your spiritual life, or if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at James at believeandfollow.org. Special thanks to Tonya and Jeremy for their contributions to this week's podcast. That's all for now. Goodbye and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord